Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And that's the story that we are starting out with today. To be chosen by lot to go into the temple and burn incense 
for Zachariah was literally a once-in-a-lifetime experience, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was the pinnacle experience, the high point. It was like going to the Super Bowl, going to the Olympics, drawing a moose tag after 30 years of putting in, going to the Holy Land, going on an African safari. It was the moment that every priest looked forward to their whole life, hoping that perhaps the lot might fall to them. There were 18,000 priests in Zechariah's day, and they were separated into 24 different orders. And every year, each order of priests came on a rotating basis to Jerusalem to preside over the temple duties for two separate weeks. And the priests that would actually go into the temple during those weeks, they were chosen by lot. It was kind of like rolling the dice. And this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, it wasn't even available to the common people. You literally had to be born into it. To be a priest, you had to have the right parents, the right family lineage. Every priest in Israel could trace their lineage back to Moses' brother Aaron. This was considered the priestly line. Because I grew up in Wyoming, to put it in Wyoming terms, you had to come from good stock. If there was a take a selfie moment in the life of a priest, then this was that moment. Offering incense in the temple was the career high point, the pinnacle, the zenith for a priest. Taking the silver fire pan, ladle, going to the top of the altar, piling up the cinders, smoothing them back with the fire pan, scooping up the fire, emptying it into the golden fire pan, clearing the ashes from the inner altar and the candlestick, offering the incense, sprinkling those fragrant powder onto the glowing embers, taking the ash bin, prostrating yourself, and coming out of the temple, and pronouncing the priestly blessing over the people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and turn his face toward you and give you peace. If only every high point in life didn't somehow collide with our own inner emptiness and our own unanswered prayers. So many people live through their high points, their pinnacles, their once-in-a-lifetime experiences while simultaneously carrying a deep ache in their bones. The hard reality is that this story about Zachariah, it's not only Zachariah's story. This is so many of our stories. From the outside, your life looks like the perfect selfie moment. You have been chosen. You have everyone behind you cheering you on. The odds appear to be in your favor. This experience is supposed to be the culmination, the zenith, the summit. You are supposed to be filled with joy. Everything appears so good. But on the inside, the experience can feel empty. You're broken. On the inside, you feel less than, defective, forgotten, sad, 
alone. You have a gaping hole in your heart that all the high point in the world just won't fill. How many times did Zachariah and Elizabeth dream of the life that could be a little baby boy or a little baby girl to fill their hearts with joy and delight? How many times had Zachariah and Elizabeth spoken out, screamed out, cried out prayers for a child until that prayer just ran out of breath? It wheezed, it strained, it lost its voice. Will it always be this way, God, that we just don't have a child? How many times did they pray? And underneath this prayer for a child was so much pain for both Zachariah and Elizabeth. It was the roller coaster of emotions every month. Hope, shattered hope, disappointment, anger, sadness, guilt, shame. Did Zachariah and Elizabeth go through any miscarriages together? And how many? It was trying to not pull away from friends and neighbors as they had babies of their own, trying to not feel left behind and forgotten in the dust, left behind by everyone, by life, by God. It was feeling like lovemaking had turned into a complicated chore, a source of failure and frustration. It was the anxiety and insecurity and depression and negative self-talk. Maybe this is all my fault. Maybe I did something bad, something wrong. Maybe this is God's way of punishing me. Maybe I'm not fit to be a father, fit to be a mother. It was living in a time when infertility was often misunderstood as a sign of God's punishment, as a disgrace, as a curse. It was the strain that it put on the marriage. We have to remember that we live in an age of birth control, which has changed the way that we view women and their lives. But in the first century, barrenness meant that a woman was unable to fulfill her role in society. That was the way most people looked at this. And so it meant that Barrenness meant that the woman's position in the family and in the marriage wasn't very secure. It was all of the sidelong glances from people in the community who must be assuming the worst. What's wrong with them? What they do to make God so angry they can't have a child? It was the pain of watching their dreams slowly slip away one month at a time. It was the shame, the dishonor. It was the fear of not having anyone to support them in their old age. Taking the fire pan and offering the incense should have been the culmination of a priestly life, a righteous and blameless life. But how does it feel when all the good stock in the world, all the righteousness and blamelessness in the world just amounts to nothing? to barrenness, to sending up smoke, to sending up prayers to a God who doesn't appear to be doing anything about anything. 
Well, let's pause here and let's consider the ways that our most vulnerable unanswered prayers and our own high points collide. On the face, everything can look so good. You smile for the picture, the house looks nice, the food and the party look nice, you've got money in the bank, a full retirement, it might be a career high point, a graduation, an anniversary, a wedding, a special trip, a big purchase, a new house, a major milestone with your business, an award of recognition, a pinnacle experience. Life looks good, but it doesn't mean your heart is okay. Inside, you're carrying your most vulnerable, unanswered prayers. It might be a child far from home, unwell, making decisions that are hurting them or hurting others. It might be a marriage relationship that's struggling and leaving you feeling alone and unknown. Maybe it's a parent who doesn't understand you, who's rejected you, who you could never live up to. Maybe it's a different relationship that's messed up or broken. Maybe it's a struggle with your mental health or a limitation that feels impossible to overcome. Maybe it's feeling inadequate. Maybe it's feeling alone in a world full of people, but feeling like, I wish I knew who out there would be my true friend, my companion, or my soulmate. Maybe it's feeling like you're just caught in a life that doesn't fit you, a job that you've outgrown, feeling a lack of purpose and meaning, not knowing how anything can ever change. It's longing for peace in a life of unrest and stress. And as your prayers go up, into the heavens, and you go on living, carrying these feelings that you're less than defective, forgotten, sad, ashamed, alone, unheard. What good is it to be blameless if you're not blessed by God? What good is it if you've been waiting for years for the odds to be in your favor on a pregnancy, but after years and years, the odds turn out to be in your favor for the wrong thing? to burn the incense in the temple. Yippee! What happens to your heart when you ask expecting to receive? Ask expecting to receive. Ask expecting to receive. And time after time, you receive the shattering answer, no. No pregnancy this month. No child on the way. Nope, not this time. Over and over and over. What happens to your heart? What kind of God did Zechariah imagine that he was praying to? And did his image of God change after praying for years and years and years for a child that never came? Did Zechariah's heart cloud over with cynicism? As a self-protective measure, did his heart grow dull? No longer expecting God to answer because it just hurt too much to ask and receive the shattering no, time after time after time. Did it become too painful to entertain the possibility that the future might look different than the past? It's been said, how we pray determines how we live. 
the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that his prayers had been heard and would be answered. The angel Gabriel promised joy, delight, rejoicing, meaning, purpose, a child. What more could Zechariah ask for? You would think he would jump for joy. It was the answer not only to his own personal prayers, but simultaneously an answer to the prayers of his people. Talk about an answer from God to warm the heart. And yet, look at how Zechariah responded. The NIV translation says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well long in years. A more literal translation would be, on what basis will I know? Or according to what will I know? Zechariah wasn't curious. How is this going to work out? He wasn't curious like the Virgin Mary when Gabriel told her about her unbelievable baby that was coming. He didn't say, how will this be? Which is what Mary said. Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? Zechariah's response was the self-protective response of someone who has lived through a hundred false alarms, a hundred dashed hopes, perhaps even a few miscarriages. His response is the same as anyone who says, I cannot handle any more false hope. It's safer to live with no hope. Zechariah wanted a sign that it was safe to open his heart to this possibility. Zechariah wasn't responding any differently than we actually all respond. It's classical conditioning. There's a famous study by <coughs> Martin Seligman and Bruce Overmeyer. Uh, in this study, the researchers took a whole bunch of dogs and they restrained them and administered mild shocks to them. Yes, I know it's terrible. Before every shock was administered to the dogs, the dogs would hear a tone telling, like warning them, there's a shock coming. And so the dogs were repeatedly exposed to this inescapable stressor. They hear the tone, then they receive the shock. And after doing this a whole bunch of times, then the researchers put the dogs in a structure that gave them a wide open escape route. And their hypothesis was that the dogs were being conditioned to associate the sound with the shock. And so when they hear the sound, if there's an escape route, then of course the dogs are going to take the escape route. They're going to bolt. They're going to jump. They're going to run. Because why wouldn't you? If you've been restrained and you've heard a tone and you know a shock is coming, of course you're going to try to get away. Like, it just makes sense. But the researchers were shocked at what actually happened. Two-thirds of the dogs, when they heard the tone, they had an escape route right in front of them, but they didn't take it. Two-thirds of the dogs simply lay down in the open kennel. They lay down as if there was no escape route. They whimpered and they whined, not only at the sound, but even when the shock came, they whimpered and whined, but they just lay there. And the researchers called this behavior learned helplessness. Repeated exposure to an inescapable stressor 
had reduced their capacity to escape the stressor. They'd come to believe that nothing they did mattered, that the pain was coming no matter what. And so even when the researchers picked up the dogs and showed them, look, there's a route of escape, many of the dogs still lay there. It's basically, how can I be sure of this? That's kind of that response. Seligman went further in his research and learned that we all ask ourselves three questions when we face uncontrollable negative circumstances, such as barrenness, infertility, as one example. The three questions are, is this permanent or temporary? Like, could things change or is this just the way it is? We ask ourselves, is this pervasive or specific? That means, like, does this negatively affect all of life or is it just one area of my life? And finally, is this personal or is this impersonal? For instance, am I the reason that this is happening? Did I cause this to happen? Is this all about me? Am I the problem? Seligman found that when we're telling ourselves that our situation is permanent and pervasive and personal, we develop learned helplessness. We just lay there. Even when escape is right there, it's, well, how can I be sure of that? Zachariah's response to the angel, it's really not that different from the dog's response. The angel was showing him the escape from his pain, but Zachariah wasn't running towards that escape. He wasn't curious about the escape. He was more skeptical of being fed false hope. Nothing I try to do about this matters, and I've given up on this pain ever going away. How can I be sure of this? When God comes to you and breathes even a wisp of hope into your broken, into your, I'm defective, I'm alone, I'm not enough, I'm less than, nothing I do matters, nothing will ever change. When God brings you a whisper of joy, a whisper of a relationship that could be restored, of rejoicing, of people united, of purpose, of calling, of meaning, of new life, do you respond with curiosity? Like Mary, how will this be? Tell me more. Things can change. Life can be good. This isn't all about me. This is bigger than me. I want to lean into this. Is that how you respond? Or is your heart too guarded? Do you expect God to pull the rug out from under you? Is there too much at stake? to be open-hearted? Have you learned to pray without expecting anything to change? Has the pain of stressor after stressor after stressor trained you to sit and whimper even when the door is wide open? Instead of believing that God is in that whisper of hope, do you just say, well, God, how can I be sure of this? So take a look at your life. Is there an open door for a relationship to grow and change, but you're afraid to take the next step? 
Is there an open door? Is God showing you fresh insights, but you're afraid to lean into what they might mean? Is the next step that God is calling you to right in front of you, but it's too much to hope for, too good to be true, too scary? Are you paralyzed? Are you sitting in your own cage, whimpering? Are you standing on the edge of your own cliff, afraid to take the next leap? If Zachariah could come over for dinner tonight, and you could tell him about the hole in your heart, the hole that no high point can fill, I wonder what Zachariah would tell you. Would he tell you that even when the baby is born, and even when your heart is filled with joy, it doesn't mean life becomes a fairy tale? Life is still filled with struggle and complication and pain, but God is there. The joy is real. The hope is real. Would Zechariah describe how good it feels to live with an open heart rather than a guarded, closed-off heart? Zechariah couldn't promise you that God's going to fill the hole in your heart, your unanswered prayers, in any certain way. Zechariah couldn't promise that. He could only tell you what he learned to trust with all his heart. And that is, your prayers aren't going out into empty space. They aren't going out into a black hole of nothingness. There is a loving God who is listening to your prayers, hearing your prayers. Zechariah wouldn't minimize your pain, though. I think he'd tell you he gets it. And I think he would ask you, how is your heart? He would ask you about your prayers. Has your heart taken so many blows that now you're guarded, even in your prayers? In your prayers, are you no longer begging, no longer pleading, no longer expecting, no longer ready to jump, no longer ready to respond, to take risks, to make changes? Are you more numb, dull? Just going through the motions. Are you testing the ice before you step on it? Like, how can I be sure? Have you given up on praying? Are you protecting yourself from God? And I think Zachariah would tell us what he learned about wanting to be sure. That there is no being sure. There's only leaning into God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and being open, curious, expectant, trusting, and vulnerable.
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.